0: Please be seated. I was standing and the guy in front of me turned around and said, do you live here? I said, most of the time. I said, are you visiting? He said, most of the time. And then he proceeded to talk about boats and wood boats. And he's like, are you going to the boat show? I said, no, I'm not. And But we had this banter, right? And I mentioned that there seems to be this friendly competition between two well-known local entities about who has the nicest collection of wood boats. And then he spoke about how one of his boats is now in Minnesota. And then he talked about how the reality between Lake Tahoe, because he's from lands west of here, and uh, Nisswa, we have like the Orsay and the Louvre, the Louvre? Louvre, Louvre? Louvre What's the right way? In- Louvre? Louvre or Louvre? Are you sure? You might be wrong on that. At any rate, between those two museums in Paris, okay, they, we, we, like, compared Tahoe, Minnesota, we have the wood boat, and I'm like, I'm like ah, you might want to tap the brakes just a little bit, because I think the Italians are going to say, unless you have some Riva boats, oh, well. At any rate, it was a delight. And it brings this mind, right? Interesting conversations. What's the best conversation that you've ever had? The worst conversation? Coffee, tea over a Coke? What would you talk about on the way here? Can there be anything more volatile in life than the 15-minute plus or minus car ride to church? Delicate negotiations at times. How do you start a challenging conversation? And how would you like a challenging conversation to begin with you? Dependent on whether or not you trust the person, influenced by the sense of urgency. You may try, trust a person at all, but if there's a sense of urgency, they can say, stop, and you would stop, right? But if you don't trust the person, and there's no urgency, and they yell, stop, you may be like, yeah, why should I listen to you? Can I take the chance and the position, the chance that it might be worthwhile to have a conversation with you? And the position that maybe through dialogue we don't have to be enemies. Another way of putting it how can we be the people of God if we are unwilling to act like the people of God? How can we bring the peace of Christ to a desperate world if we are not able to be peaceful? To quote the great theologian, let's give them something to talk about. Verse 1, chapter 6, 9, 7, 5. Brothers, and it's brothers and sisters. The footnote tells you that. Don't know why they don't translate it, but we've been doing that throughout the book of Galatians. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Spiritual... Not a self determining designation, but being led by the Spirit, right? Verse 25, walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit. Yeah, exactly. If someone's transgressing, okay, they're going the wrong way down a one way. A spirit of gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit, was it the papaya or the melon? Can't remember. Spirit of gentleness. Avoid the temptation. Avoid the temptation. The temptation towards the desires of the flesh? Yeah. Challenging someone? Conceit? Provocation? Envy? Yes. All of the things. Avoid the temptation. Bear our connection. You affect me. I affect you. We should want to help each other. We genuinely should want to help each other. The law of Christ. Jesus said, Love God, love neighbor as self, which is really a twofer, right? Two in one. Love neighbor as self implies loving neighbor and loving self. Sometimes we get one part of it right, but not the other part of it right. It fits, right? It fits. If we are both in need of a Savior, we talked about that last week, right? If we're both in need of a Savior, I'm in need of a Savior. I proved it again this week. I am in need of a Savior. Most likely, you proved it again this week. You are in need of a Savior. If we're both in need of a Savior, we'd want to help each other. Doesn't that make sense? And if we're both in need of a Savior, that we'd be able to say that our needs are greater than our differences. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Sometimes I think we think our differences are bigger than anything else. They're not. They're not. Very few of our differences will matter on the other side. But our needs will matter hugely. Hugely? Hugely. That's an okay word? Just doesn't sound right to me. Usually, it's not in the notes, so I'm not totally sure. I haven't checked it out. But our needs will be paramount. I like that word a lot better. Wouldn't we want to say that our needs are greater than our differences and we are both in need of a Savior? We would want to help each other and that maybe we wouldn't say stupid stuff. There's two sides of this, right? The first side might be, for some of us, easier than the second side, okay? The, the first side might be, okay, be willing to be the person who's, who's willing to say something. Be willing to help someone out. The challenge with this is that Sometimes it's easy to fall victim that the only time you want to have a conversation with someone is when you want to help them out. And if the only time that I talk to you is when we think we have a problem or I think you have a problem, it may not land very effectively. If our conversations happen within the context of community, then the ability to help one another out increases logarithmically. We're not trying to convince you to show up on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning so you have another thing to do. We're not trying to convince you to be a part of small groups so that we can say we have X number of small groups. Our motivation is to be together Because when we are together, we realize our needs are greater than our differences, and we all have need of a Savior, and we all have this sense of urgency to help each other out. Be willing to help someone out, which often means being willing to be in community. The other side of it might be for some of us harder. Be willing to be helped. Be willing to be helped. If you hear something up here that challenges you, if you hear something from a friend that challenges you, okay, I would evaluate, is it theologically accurate? Okay, if it's heresy, whip it, throw it right out the window, even if the window is non-operable. just push it right out. Break the window, we'll fix the window. If it's heresy, get rid of it. But if it challenges how we think, if it challenges how we intersect with the world about us, if it challenges us in our priorities in life, if it challenges us to reevaluate, if someone you know, that knows that they need a savior comes to you, it, it might be worth a listen. It might be worth lower the defenses. That if someone says something that challenges you, if someone says something that challenges me, and, and this is risky. It's 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 hugely risky. You gotta be willing to take the chance. You have to be willing to evaluate the risk, right? And there are probably some things that I shouldn't comment on. That's why it's critical to stay in step with the Spirit. And there are probably some people that I should not disclose information to. I mean, there's a, a conversation that would be different with your child than I would have with you, right? But Paul says, as he winds up and finishes the book of Galatians, to his friends in this geographical area. If anyone is caught in transgressions, you who are led by the Spirit should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Verse three, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Big mistake. Big, huge, from a movie that really isn't a movie that should be mentioned in church. But oh well, you know the scene if you know the scene. You girls work on commission, right? da na 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 Pretty Roy Orbison tune. Paul's like, you think you're something? But You're not. You're not, and that's a big mistake. It's a big mistake. It's a huge mistake. Of course, we'd never fall victim to this in sunny Minnesota. We're modest. We are reserved. We are unwilling to verbalize another's faults to their face. We're pretty willing to do it behind their back. and the root of that i think is found many times in kind of an underseated yet we'd never admit it sense that i am better than you i think pretty highly of myself deep breath sober judgment doesn't mean that we should think we're worthless i'm not saying i'm not any good at all no All Paul is saying is have a proper sense of the lane that we are in, the lane that is determined not by us, not by our environment, but by the Spirit and the outcome of living by the Spirit and walking with the Spirit. And if you can embrace that, if we can embrace that, there's this richness to life. It's not a static thing. It's a vibrant, life-giving thing to be in step with the Spirit. Paul has a similar message to his friends in Rome in the book of Romans. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Regard yourself with sober judgment. Don't think too highly of oneself. It's so easy, right? So easy to get jammed up, and justifiably so. I don't know, maybe uh, someone is walking on the trail with their dog, a dog that they don't have control of, and you come up on your bike. I'm certainly within my rights to say, hey, get control of your dog in not a nice tone of voice. But why? Or better yet, okay, say I'm going northbound on, is it 13th, the one in between 168 and 16, is it 13th, 11th? It's some number, okay? (laughs) It's a two alphanumeric, it's either 13 or 11, or is it 17? It's 13. Thank you very much, okay? And say you're say you're northbound on, on that, on your bike, right? And on your bike, you're all in like buck ninety-five at most, okay? And coming southbound is, is a young, is a young juvenile delinquent. Helmet on, four-wheeler, maximum speed, only two wheels are on the ground, drifting towards you, followed by his parents in a small SUV so he doesn't get in trouble. And you're like, what are you doing? Right? There's always these opportunities to get so jammed up. And you could say, yeah, you have a right to yell at that person and make some sort of gesture. And if I ever or if you ever pass me and I go like this, I'm really not flipping you off. I'm just saying, get away from me because I'm a bike that's going to get run over by you and your juvenile delinquent child. But I think there's a part of it where not thinking more highly of myself, if I think that I am something when I'm nothing, I deceive myself. So the opposite of that would be like, it's okay to slow down on the trail. It's it's okay to get wound up. It's okay to get slowed down. It's okay to have someone pull out in front of you. It's okay to be hemmed in and the coffee line. It's okay. All of these things are okay because it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we are all in need of a Savior. And yes, I don't think your kid should drive illegally down the road, but it still doesn't matter because I'm not better than you. It's often the play that we make. We look at someone else and we evaluate who they are, evaluate who we are based on someone else's progress or someone else's standing. The game of I am better than you. It's easy to think that we are better than someone else. My kids are better. My views are better. My career is better. My house is better. My car is better. My bike, especially my bike, is probably better than yours. My diet, most of the time. The areas in my life where I've achieved discipline are better than yours. But it would be just as easy to say the areas in your life where you've achieved discipline are better than mine. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not better than you. I'm not. I misspell words. I slaughter the English language with run-on sentences. I probably cuss too much. Okay, I don't take the Lord's name in vain, but I probably cuss too much. Not saying I cuss a lot, but probably just... I could be nicer to my dog. And those are the easy things to discuss. (laughs) And please don't come up to me after and say, well, John, you have great value. No, I know I have great value. Yes, no, I have a firm sense of that. Most of the time I have a firm sense of that. There are some darker moments. But But I can say and say, hey, there is a lot to like about me, and I like most of those things, and that makes me smile. And I think it makes the Father smile when I say that. It's just that I'm not better than you. I'm not. But I'm better than who I was a year ago. It's intriguing in this journey for me personally, spiritual formation. There are things that God gave me a pass on. I've told some of this to some of you at some time there are things in my 20s that god gave me a pass on at least in my brain that then when we got into my 30s god's like no we're going to address this right now and it was kind of uncomfortable i'm like well, wait a second i got to pass on these things in my 20s like god's like yeah no we're not gonna give a pass on in the 30s then when i get to my 40s okay we start working on some stuff that god gave me a pass on in my 30s right I'm like, wait a second, I thought that was okay because you gave me a pass on those things in my 30s. And maybe I was just deluding myself, maybe that wasn't really true. Part of it, I think God hits us where we live and at the speed at which we can live and that there's always transformation, spiritual formation that can go on. But by the end of my 40s, I thought I was pretty close to perfect. (laughs) So imagine my surprise in my 50s. Dealing with stuff that I got a pass on in my 40s. I shouldn't have been surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised at all. And probably 10 years from now, mid-60s, there's going to be stuff that I need to work on that I'll be like, God, I thought we were okay with this because you gave me a pass on it in my 50s. I'm not better than you, but I'm better than who I was a year ago, and I'm proud to say that. And what Paul is arguing for is a continual check with the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Up against the standard of the Holy Spirit's invitation to intersect with us. When I defend my actions... Are they being defendable with the fruit of the Spirit in mind? When I take a really strong position, am I taking that position with the idea of the fruit and Spirit in mind? Or am I thinking, no, this is who I am? When I take a strong stance, am I defending myself with the fruit of the Spirit in mind? Or am I defending myself with ideas of conceit, provocation, envy, and temptation? because I'm not better than you. But I'm better than who I was a year ago. Our time today ends with verse 5. One of the hallmarks of Timberwood Church. For each will have to bear his own load. One of the hallmarks of the history that is Timberwood Church, that while we are related, what you do affects me, what I do affects you. While we are connected, that while we are in community, that we are designed for all of this stuff to do life together, that ultimately, it's my stuff. Ultimately, I can't blame my behavior on you, and you can't blame your behavior on me. Ultimately, I will stand before a holy God for what I have done, what I have not done, and whether I have used the truckload of forgiveness and repentance that God offers. For each will have to bear his own burdens. I've recommended the gentleman to you before, Brother Lawrence. He's this French dude, lived a long time ago, clumsy, klutzy. We have a collection of his writings that forms a book about that thick. You could get through it in an afternoon if you wanted to. The quote comes from him. It's the postlude to Paul's discussion today and how we think of ourselves and how we deal with this reality that if we're in a spot where we're caught transgressing, going the wrong way down a one way, if we're caught sinning, how we should handle it. When he had fallen short, he said, he would do nothing else but confess his shortcoming and say to God, I should never do anything else if you left me to do it. Brother Lawrence is so refreshing when it comes to the confession of sin. He confesses his sin and that he cuts it loose. It is yours to prevent me from failing and to set right that which is not well. Let's talk about this, huh? Let's have this conversation. Let's be willing to live in community where this kind of dependence on a Savior is greater than the differences we think we have. Please pray with me. Father, I confess because it's so easy to think that I'm better. But I'm not. And I suppose if we left it at that, oh great God, we would be left in a hopeless situation. But you bring life and forgiveness and grace and mercy and repentance into our existence. That you remind us often of our need for a Savior and that you have provided your Son as that means so that we can live with hope and grace and peace. Let us embrace the need. Let us embrace the Savior. Let embrace us embrace this wonderful thing called community, led by your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us.